joining us online somewhere, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. Pray you are blessed by it and I realize that uh, they are not present, but we give honor tonight to Bishop and Mother Wright. Appreciate them. Amen. Praise God. I, I, I have heard both publicly and numerous times privately from Bishop slash my father the importance as a preacher, as a man of God or woman of God, of being obedient to God. And that more than likely, if you truly follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, you will end up at times where people probably don't like you. <laughs> I, uh, and so it's, it's tough sometimes to teach or preach because you got to decide who am I going to please. Am I going to try to be a people pleaser or am I going to try to be a God pleaser? I guess there are men and women that preach that could care less what people think about them. They've reached that point that they don't care at all. Uh, I have not reached that point. And I got to be honest, in some ways, I don't know that it's positive to reach a point where you totally care less. I think what you need to somehow do is learn how to balance caring with obeying God. Because if I don't care, I think there's a danger in acting and saying and doing things in a way that may not be appropriate because you don't care. So, that being said, um, there have been times I've preached or taught that was a bit challenging because I had to decide I was wanted to please God more than people. And in some ways, I think tonight, what I'm about to teach, and I'd imagine some of you by now are quickly putting your walls up to protect yourself because you are worried about where we're going. Um, but... This is, I think tonight may be the most difficult thing I've ever taught or preached because this, what I'm about, what I feel led, what I feel very strongly to communicate tonight could, could come across extremely self-serving. <laughs> just being honest and open with you. It could come across as just being extremely self-serving. So I just want to say from the onset here, this is not about an individual. Am I getting you nervous? Have I got everybody nervous yet? If not, let me, let me. This is not about an individual. I promise you, if, if there was any thought if I had any inkling that was the case, I would, I would choose to disregard the leading of the Holy Ghost and just pick my own subject tonight. So, I, I, this is in one way or another something that's been heavy on my heart off and on for a while. And it's the direction that I feel tonight. So, I'm actually going to read a bunch of verses from the very beginning. 
So I appreciate all of you honoring the Word of God, but I'm going to let you, encourage you to go ahead and be seated, and uh, that way you're not stuck standing as we read more than the norm to begin. I want to I read starting in Hebrews 13. I want to read starting with verse 1. Hebrews 13, beginning with verse number 1. Let brotherly love continue. That's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Let. Let. That, that implies you shouldn't have to manufacture or produce brotherly love. It should be a natural thing that you just have to let happen. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. As younger years, my, my children have sometimes asked my mother, or my mother, my wife, if angels smoke. Because we've taught them the verse, you might be entertaining angels unaware. And so there have been some individuals that they thought maybe that person potentially was. Bottom line is, it's really a good point. You never know who God may be sending your way. They may not actually be a literal angel, but it may be somebody God sending your way just to see how you will respond. I, there's a long way to go to get to the verse I'm really getting to here, so i got to hurry up, although I did start early. You ever, ever heard that anywhere before? <laughs> Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. That means you need to identify with those around you that are going through stuff. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed un- and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't it interesting the answer to your covetousness is being content that God is with you and will never leave you and Never forsake you. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, but with meat, not with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, 
Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for... With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. We'll come down here with you all. That way, if you get mad, I'll be right by you. Just hit me. Go ahead. Get it over with. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The Amplified says it this way, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them, do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning. For that would not be profitable to you either. Message Bible. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership. I ought to get an amen from a couple of elders here tonight. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Mm, Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Why would you want to make things harder for them? Lastly, the Living Bible says it this way, Obey your spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say. For their work is to watch over your souls. And God will judge them on how well they do this. So you don't need to waste your time judging us. I'll try to keep this light while I... They they said... Someone said last weekend about Brother Libby and his ministry that he, he gets you laughing and cracking up at his jokes while he is using the scalpel to slice you open and you're laughing and look down and realize you are bleeding. So, <laughs> God will judge them on how well they do this. Give them reason to report joyfully about you to the Lord. And not with sorrow, for then you will suffer for it too. 
you, you, now I, I, I'm, 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 I, I said it before I was open and honest and trying to prepare the way. This could sound, again, extremely self-serving. And, and I hope that everybody here tonight knows me enough and trusts me enough that you, you would know better than that of me. So I, 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 obviously I stand in a position here tonight, but I also share the responsibility with some other people here tonight in pastoral oversight. So it actually is not just about one person. I realize I am the senior elder of the mother congregation, but it's not just about one person. Give them reason. So, uh, on that being said, why would you ever want to get on the bad side? Why would you ever want to get on my bad side? I got to give a report for you one day. I got to stand before God and give an account for you. It's Christmas in a couple of weeks. I, I, I'm, I'm being lighthearted, but I'm also being, because I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the office. Why would you want to get cross with the one that's got to stand before God one day and give an account? I'm sorry, excuse the grammar, I ain't lying for you. I want you to go to heaven, but probably a little bit above me wanting you to go to heaven is me wanting to go to heaven. So I'm not going to stand there at the end and lie for you and it cost me. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, listen to a couple of things in this verse. The words rule over you, actually, actually the... Uh, I think it's more than just those words, it's, it's them that have the rule over you. I think all those words actually are combined in one Greek word, and that word means to lead, to go before, but it means to be a leader, to rule, to command, to have authority over. I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a little insight to part of where we're going tonight, Lord Willing, actually, if he doesn't will and we don't get there, that'll be okay with me. But let me tell you, part of where we're going tonight is there is something that has crept into this church. I have never heard so many people so opinionated about the decision, the decisions of leadership in this church. Now this isn't McDonald's, and this isn't Walmart, and this isn't Boeing, and this isn't whatever other, this isn't the Congress, and this isn't the state government, and so this is not a man-made, man-run organization. Whether you believe it or not, I will tell you for myself and others, particularly, I, I my involvement, not only with Bishop, but several other people and senior leadership in this church, 
I will tell you firsthand that there are men and women responsible for leading this church that do not treat it as a natural responsibility, but they respect the fact it is a God-given role and that God is in charge and whatever I do is in submission to Him. Oh, Lord. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. You know what I'm doing. If you've been here, you know what I'm doing. I'm apologizing without apologizing. You know that. Some of you know me enough. So I'm trying to not just not apologize, but I'm going to try to stop apologizing without apologizing because I feel that there's some things I need to say tonight, and, and it's, it's, it's grating my flesh. I'm, I'm not trying to be whatever... I'm just, I'm telling you my personality, my nature. The last thing I want to do is stand and use this pulpit for anything self-serving. So this is not about flesh and blood tonight. There is no comment card hanging around for you to give your opinion on everything that's done. There's not a suggestion box either. Because we are not trying to do what we think should be done. From the biggest of decisions to the smallest of decisions. And I'm just telling you, I've been around here 45 years. Good portion of that time, I was here in body, but not here in comprehension. But I've, I've been around here long enough. I've, I've got a good 20 plus years where I'm, I'm, I've got comprehension of what's going on. And I'm telling you, in the history of this church, I have never seen a time where there are so many people that are so open to express their opinions about things that they think. Shouldn't have been done, shouldn't have been done this way, etc., etc. This is not, again, this is not a man-made organization. To be leader, to rule, to command, to have authority... Listen to what the word submit means. It means to yield to authority and admonition, to submit. Do you you, you understand the connotation of submission is doing something that's not necessarily your preference? That's why it's submission. If you were doing everything you wanted to do, there would be no submission. And so he says, submit. Notice that word, submission. That means you take your mission and make it subordinate to God's mission. He didn't give you a commission. He gave me as an individual a submission. I don't have the right to put my personal mission, ministry mission, even if it's a ministry mission, I don't have a right to put that above the mission of us as a body. I am supposed to have a sub-mission. 
I know it's a little bit of a play on words, but it needs to. Some of you need to hear it. Listen to what. Listen to this. He says they. Obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account. Anybody, don't, don't, Brother Barr, you can't answer because you're probably already there. Without your Bible app and your Greek definitions open, somebody, somebody take a guess at what you think that word, the, the Greek word watch there means. Somebody take a guess. Come on, just, just have a little classroom setting. Oversee, guard, anybody else? Oversee, guard, those are, those are two things that, kind of first things that come to mind. Listen to what the word watch means. Literally, the definition of the word watch in the Greek there means, are you ready? You're not ready. No, it's not watch. I know that sometimes the deepest definitions are just the obvious ones. No. Actually not. It means to be sleepless. Let that sink in for a moment. To be sleepless, i.e. to keep awake. Not to guard, not to oversee, not to protect. To be sleepless, to keep awake. Meaning, those that watch over you are often disturbed for you. Now, I chose the word for very specifically right there. I didn't say about you. Because about is basically a negative. But there are times you can be concerned for that it's not necessarily, I can be concerned for you because... You're doing well, but there's a little bit more that God's got. Concern for you that you get there. And so the word watch to be sleepless, to keep awake. Now, I'm, a, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I may offend you, but I'm going to at least offend you telling you the truth. I, I've never had any sleepless nights thinking about any of you. I take after my dad. My head hits the pillow, usually five minutes is tops. I'm... Gone. That's really bad for those nights when you're in the midst of kind of one of those silent modes and with you and your spouse, and you really ought to resolve conflict before you go to sleep. Anybody besides me ever had to try to lay over there and play those mental games to Stay away. Come on. Don't you. Don't everybody. Thank you, Brother Isaac. Somebody's being. My wife already knows just because you want to be stealthy and not let yours know. Are you still awake? Yes. I've been awake for half a second, so I was awake. I'm still awake. (laughs) I'm not not saying that to be unkind because I'm going to say this. Most of the day, there's usually not some, there's usually not much time that goes by that someone isn't in my mind, in my spirit. So I don't know that necessarily he was literally saying they, you keep them awake all the time. 
maybe part of what was being said was, you're on the mind. I, I understand, I've said it leading up to when we did the appreciation for uh, first responders and specifically the police, and we did that in Arnold a couple of weeks ago. I, I know there's some bad cops out there, but tell me what profession doesn't have crooks and dishonest and unethical people in it? What profession? Preachers included. But I don't judge every police officer to be a bad police officer because there's a few out there that are. We are at a day and time in which there has been an onslaught against the ministry and the devil has done some very successful things to get people to be pretty much leery of every preacher and lump every preacher into the same category. I believe part of that is because he recognizes and knows the significance of the role of a pastor, or if I could say it this way, a shepherd in our lives. Watch. Let me read to you a little bit here. Bear with me. And I, I didn't put all this, obviously, in PowerPoint tonight or slides but I would be happy to share this with you if anybody wants to peruse the notes. Adam Clark says this about the phrase, Obey them that have the rule over you. Obey your leaders. He is not fit to rule who is not capable of guiding. He refers back to verse 7 that we read where he talks about remembering those with the rule. In the former verse, the apostle exhorts them to remember those who had been their leaders, and to imitate their faith. In this he exhorts them to obey the leaders they now had, and to submit their authority in all matters of doctrine and discipline, on the ground that they watched for their souls, and should have to give an account of their conduct to God. If this conduct were improper, they must give in their report before the great tribunal with grief, but in it must be given if if holy and pure, they would give in it with joy. I'm sure I read that in the proper way. It is an awful consideration that many pastors who had loved their flocks as their own souls shall be obliged to accuse them before God for either having rejected or neglected the great salvation. It is an awful consideration. Barnes Note says this with the same phrase. The margin says, guide. The reference here is to their religious teachers and not to civil rulers. They were to show them proper respect and submit to their authority in the church so far as it was administered in accordance with the precepts of the Savior. Obviously, anything tonight is in the context of me or any other pastor, any other preacher being in submission to the Word of God. I am not saying you blindly follow somebody that disregards the Word of God. Paul said it, follow me as I follow Christ. 
The obligation to obedience does not, of course, extend to anything which is wrong in itself or which, which would be a violation of conscience. The doctrine is that subordination is necessary to the welfare of the church and that there ought to be a disposition to yield all proper obedience to those who are set over us in the Lord. With regards to the statement, submit yourselves... It says, many things which are in themselves a matter of no express divine command and of no formal enactment by the community. They are matters of convenient, things that tend to the order and harmony of the community and of the propriety of these rulers. Of these, rulers in the church and elsewhere should be allowed to judge and we should submit to them patiently Hence, in the church, we are to submit to all the proper regulations for conducting public worship, for the promotion of religion, and for the administration of discipline. What Barnes is saying there is, we've got to recognize those that God has put in position to lead, to trust them to do just that. Oh, hallelujah. 2016 is not the day and time to be teaching this. Let's keep this one off the internet. How about that? (laughs) He says, with regards to the statement, for they watch for your souls. They have no selfish aim in this. Just going to say it right here, right now. There's some of you that are in desperate need of letting God cleanse your heart and mind of your suspicion of everything the ministry does. Oh, hallelujah. They have no selfish aim. They do not seek to lord it over God's heritage. It is for your own good that they do this, and you should therefore submit to these arrangements. And this shows also the true principle on which authority should be exercised in a church. It should be in such a way as to promote the salvation of the people and all the arrangements should be with that end. The measures adopted, therefore, and the obedience enjoined should not be arbitrary, oppressive, or severe, but should be such as will, re- as will really promote salvation. I I may come back to this in a a little while, but I'll just say it right now while it's kind of on my mind. Do, 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 Do some of you honestly think that the decisions for the changes and the transitions that were made were made simply out of fleshly desires? I understand most of you here tonight, in fact, just about all of you here tonight, we're not a part of, of the senior leaders that, that were a part of making this decision. Let, let me just tell you firsthand, it was a hard, long, trying process. Because from a human perspective, there was not one person a part of bringing about the changes and decisions that did not have a personal struggle with the decision. And the guy holding the iPad was one of the biggest ones. 
But it's about really promoting salvation. And what do we need to do? What should we do? Not for my personal preferences and desires. But what do we need to do to most effectively impact this region that God has called us to impact? The ministers as with regards to they must give account. The ministers of religion must give account to God for their fidelity, for all that they teach and for every measure which they adopt. They must soon be called into judgment. There is therefore the best security that under the influence of this solemn truth they will pursue only that course which will be for your good. You do know that, whether you really consciously think of it. I, and any man that man or woman that stands in a pulpit, and I mean that figuratively more than literally, any person that stands to preach or teach has got to give an account to God. That's why James 3 and 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Amplified says it this way, Not many of you should become teachers. Self-constituted censors and reprovers of others. My brethren, for you know that we teachers will be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Thus we assume the greater accountability and the more condemnation. I don't preach or teach anything that I'm not willing to give an account, not to you. And I care about Bishop, but more so, my first and foremost concern is, i got to give an account to him. And I love all of you, but he loves you way more than I love you. And if I mess with you, I'm messing with what he loves and values and treasures. It may do it with joy and not with grief. I like the way Barnes says it. Not sighing or groaning. You just imagine one day standing there before God and He says, Now, I'll pick on this one because He has to go home with me and I feed Him and take care of Him so He'd be foolish to get mad at me. So, tell me to some of you, Chester, to others of us, Nathaniel. So I don't know which one God would choose. Maybe He'll do both. So, Pastor, give me, give me your report of Chester Nathaniel. Oh. I'm actually not trying to be funny, but I, I, that's okay. Oh, God. Do I, do I really have to? Do, do I really have to report about them, God? I don't, maybe, maybe we'll be able on that day just to say, God, you, you know everything about them. Don't ask me. <laughs> he says, handle yourselves in a way so there's not sighing or groaning as they would who had been unsuccessful. 
The meaning is that they should so obey that when their teachers came to give up their account, they need not do it with sorrow over their perverseness and disobedience. It is unprofitable for you. That is, their giving up of their account in that manner as unsuccessful in their efforts to save you would not be of advantage to you, but would be highly injurious. This is a strong mode of expressing the idea that it must be attended with imminent peril to their souls to have their religious teachers go and give an account against them as they would wish, therefore, to avoid that they should render to them all proper honor and obedience. I have Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. I will skip some of that for the sake of time. Again, if you have any interest, I'll share. I, I think, and, and there's no place in the Bible that, you know, there's no verse that says this. It's a, it's, it's, I believe it's there in principle. I, I, I believe, seems to me, I say to me, this, I'm not reading this to you out of a book. This is not whatever. I believe there are three and I, I, I think I can say it this way, three sacred relationships in the Bible based on the principles that govern those things and guide them. I think there are three sacred relationships. The first one is the individual's relationship with God. I think that is the most sacred of all relationships. My, my relationship with God, your relationship with God. The second, a second, because I'm actually sharing them out of the order that I think there's most significant. The second, a second relationship I think that is sacred in the context of Scripture is the marriage relationship. And, and part of what I mean by sacred is they should be protected. If you are in the relationship, my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, I should work to protect that relationship. I should work to nurture those relationships. I should work to see those relationships grow. The flip side is, I should not interfere with your relationship with God. I should not interfere with your marriage. It's one of the reasons why adultery is viewed the way it is in Scripture. And the third relationship that to me in Scripture is a sacred relationship is that of the shepherd and the sheep. And I actually think that probably is second on the list. You didn't choose me. I didn't choose you. For better or worse. And I, I, I want you, here's, here's, here's part of the basic point I want to make with that tonight. Anybody that interferes with that relationship is one thing. I shouldn't have to say it, but I'm going to say it again. I'm talking about, not talking about where somebody is being unbiblical, unscriptural, unethical, abusive, whatever. That's not what I'm... Well, a God-fearing man or woman that's in that role, anyone that interferes with that relationship is one thing. Matthew 7 and 15, Beware of false prophets 
which comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Living Bible says it this way, Beware of false teachers who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are wolves and will tear you apart. Anybody that attempts to come between you and your pastor, and I say it that way because many of you here tonight do not come here on Sunday morning, and so you've got other elders that stand in that role as under-shepherds. So that's why I say it that way, because I'm not just speaking of me. But anyone that interferes, that undermines your relationship, respect. Now we're getting into that part that really sounds or seems self-serving. But whatever. Is one thing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. One thing. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they were. I don't care how long they've been it. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care how much you respect them. Anyone that is trying to undermine your relationship with the men and the women that God has placed to care for you in your life. And I will go this far as to say, ultimately with this pulpit, as the pulpit of this church, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now it's sad when wolves creep in. But what's worse is when wolves arise. Oh, hallelujah. I think I might need a little bit of water. It's one thing when people come in from the outside disguised as a sheep but are wolves. It's another thing when people that possibly were sheep allow things to get in their spirit and offenses to build up that they themselves now become wolves in sheep's clothing. I I, I want you to listen what kind of, I think, is an Old Testament example. In 2 Samuel chapter number 15, verse number 1. It came to, pass after, came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy, came to the king for judgment, Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right. You have a valid concern. You have a valid issue. But there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. (sighs) 
That's a, you know what? You got, that's a really good, that's a, that, you, that's a, brother, brother Tony, that's a, that's a really good issue you got. And there's nobody that'll even listen to what your issue is. And Absalom said unto him, Thy matters are good and right, but there's no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. That every man with which any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Oh, hallelujah. I would hear, and I would deal. You better be careful when you find someone that is so quick to tell you your issues are right and nobody cares. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had a suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. You, you, they're not treating your wife right, but you can trust me. They're, you know, they're this and they're that, but listen, you, you got a friend in me. You've got a friend. Sorry. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Here's the interesting. Do you know what the name Absalom means? Not deceiver. Not, you know, Jacob was the supplanter. That was his name. That's what he meant. That's what his name meant. He was the schemer. You know what Absalom meant? Father of peace. Father of peace. You can't trust the king that God appointed, but you can, you can trust me. I'll listen. I'll hear. and Nobody else cares, but I'll care. I, I, I have heard through the years, Brother Whaley, that this is the most unloving church some people have ever been to. Absolutely no love here. Ridiculous. And then I've had people tell me this is the most loving place I have ever been in all my life. I've never felt so much love. I learned a long time ago, we are not over there, and we're not over there. We're somewhere in the middle. We are not the most unloving, and we're probably not the most loving. Of course, we always become the most unloving when what is done out of love you don't like, so you're unloving. 
Every child thinks at some point their parents are unloving because you didn't give me my way and do what I wanted, and so you don't love me. You better be careful when somebody, and and not literally, because I don't think this happens that often literally, but you better be careful when it's implied that the conversation starts. You know what I know. What do you know? Kind of sounds like something in the garden. What's that tree look like? What God say? Notice he was the father of peace. His name did not imply that he would be what he was. It's really a scary thing when somebody has been appointed by God to be one thing and then misuse that for their own good. Last set of verses. I say that very loosely. Exodus, no, excuse me, Numbers chapter 16. Verse number 1. Most of you are familiar with this passage, but I actually saw something in preparation for tonight I've never quite noticed before. Numbers 16 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons Reuben, took men. O-N is... On, but since it's a name, it's probably on, right? You've got to say it some way different. All right, sorry. I'll forget the jokes and I'll just read. Soon. <laughs> and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 pr- princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation. Famous. Notice that they were famous in the congregation. Well, well, if so-and-so thinks that, if so-and-so said that, then it must. Famous in the con- congregation, men of renown. These weren't outsiders. These weren't, these weren't a bunch of rebels that had snuck in. These were well-known. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much on you. Seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you up yourselves about the congregation of the Lord. Living Bible says it this way, They went to Moses and Aaron and said, We have had enough of your presumption. You are no better than anyone else. Everyone in Israel is chosen of the Lord, and He is with all of us. What right do you have to put yourselves forward, claiming that we must obey you, and acting as though you were greater than anyone else among all these people of the Lord? Message Bible says it like this. They came as a group and confronted Moses and Aaron, saying, You've overstepped yourself. This entire community is holy, and God is in their midst. So why do you act like you're running the whole show? I don't have to do what leadership says. 
I don't have to submit to anybody. Who do they think they are? What makes them know better than I am? Or what makes them know better than I know? What makes them more qualified than me? One thing, God chose them and didn't choose you. What makes you more qualified than me, brother, right? One thing, he picked me and not you. Outside of that, there's a good chance you're probably more qualified than me. Slight problem, he didn't pick you. You're probably not the most qualified person to lead the Annapolis Hispanic congregation. But he didn't choose all the other qualified people, did he? He chose you. Brother Grosser, you're probably not the most qualified person in the world to lead Pinewood Village. Slight problem. God chose you. What makes you any better than me? Nothing. What makes you more qualified than me? One thing. His choice. Why do you act like you're running the whole show? You take too much on yourself. Verse number four, back to the King James. And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. One of, and this goes beyond just those of you, beyond a, a pastoral role. Somebody needs to hear me. I think, I think, and I'm, it is me, but I think one of the most challenging things in ministry is when you do something to the absolute best of your ability for the right motive, and you are wrongly accused. If you haven't experienced it and you're in leadership, get ready. Let me tell you something. I, I, I can't explain it necessarily, but I kind of understand it. I, 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 I've told it before. I, I, I think I'm a pretty respectful guy. I, I, I say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir, and all those things. I, I think I'm a pretty respectful guy. When I get pulled over for speeding, something comes over me. I lose my mind. You would think if you're ever going to be respectful, that's the moment to be the most respectful. And there is an attitude that rises up inside of me every single time. And I get mad at the police officer for pulling me over. That is the dumbest thing. I got caught. For doing what I shouldn't have been. If I'm going to be mad, I ought to be mad at me. Not mad at him. He's just doing his job. My wife, in the time she'd been in the car with me when I got pulled over, she's like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. Other than I'm mad, I got caught doing what I shouldn't have been doing, but I was doing it. 
all the crime in the world, and he's just going to pick me and pull me over? Come on. How dare he? We may get upset, but we also in our heart of hearts know when we did something wrong and our motive, our attitude wasn't right in it, we may get upset, but I, I think that's just, I don't, I don't even, I, you, somebody in psychology tell me after church why it's like that. The bottom line is, you, you and I know the difference between when we've done something spitefully, and I may get a little upset, but I also know, you know what, you're right, you, you caught me. But when you know, when you know and you believe you were trying to do right and you're questioned, you're accused, that's a tough, I'm going to say it again, I'm, I'm telling some of you tonight, hopefully I'm helping somebody and then I'm also warning somebody. <laughs> Moses fell on his face. Moses fell on his face because Moses was trying to the best of his ability to lead God's people in the way God wanted. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the men whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Now, now this, this, is, this is starting to get into the part I never really saw before. Moses now says back to them, You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Wait a minute. This was not just any random group of people. These were men who were a part of the service of the Lord. Let me put it in 2016 terms, and this, I think I could say it in this context. They were leadership. This wasn't just a bunch of wackos that had just shown up out of nowhere and say, hey, we heard about you. And you. These are people that had a role and a responsibility in the house of God, if you will. He says back to them, you take too much on you. Moses said unto Korah, here I pray you, you sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you? that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? Is it a small thing that out of all of these people, God has chosen you to be a part of serving and, and a part of the ministry? And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And then he says this, Seek ye the priesthood also? Is the role and the responsibility God gave you not enough? 
I'll, I'll pick on somebody else I know can handle it. And I, I, I'm prepared to give a good report for them, so I'll pick on them. Is it not good enough for you to be the leader and the elder of Robin Wood? You want my job too? That, that's, what, that's what Moses was saying. And when you... Oh, Lord. When you go around telling everybody how everybody else ought to be in, doing their job, in spite of what you say after that, what you're saying is, I want their job. Oh, no, I don't want your job. I just want the right to criticize you and the job you do. Moses said, is it not enough what you do? I'll pick on another person that can handle it. Is it not good enough for you to play the keyboard and lead worship? You want to preach too? <laughs> you, you take who, who do you think you are to be any better than us? Not, not better than you. But God sets certain people up in certain positions for certain roles and responsibilities. And it's not about the individual, it's about God. And guess what? <laughs> Even the best of leaders, God's going to allow things to happen that, quest, that challenge you as a person that's being led by them. Oh, you're just making excuses for yourself, brother, right? No, I can tell you, right, I don't need to make excuses. I'm going to do dumb stuff. I have done, I will do dumb stuff. Because I'm just a human being. One thing I can promise you is, to the best of my ability, I do not purposely do dumb stuff, but I do dumb stuff. And when I've done dumb stuff, I wonder why I did dumb stuff. <laughs> Listen to this, and I'm, I'm, I'm closing. Listen closely, the landing gear is coming down. We are making an approach. There may be something that causes us to have to divert and loop around again, but as of right now, we are making an approach. God has rejected Saul and chosen David. Not just behind closed doors, but he's now been anointed to replace Saul. Saul is chasing God's anointed with his army to kill him. David's hiding in a cave. Saul stops by the cave. David's counselors, David's companions say, The Lord has provided, has put the enemy in your hands. Here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to deal with the problem. Oh, hallelujah. You better be careful when God gives you the opportunity to deal with the problem 
and it's not your place. So David takes his sword and simply cuts the garment of Saul. Doesn't touch his body, doesn't take his life, simply cuts a piece of the garment off. And notice what the Bible says David's reaction was to that. His heart smote him. Because he touched a man that God had put in place and had rejected. If David's heart smote him for touching, for cutting the robe off of the man that God had rejected and selected him in the place of, how much more should our heart smite us? When we touch those that God has put in places that He has not rejected them, they are still there by God's divine choice and providence. And yet some touch the anointed with no justification and have no smiting of their heart. Because we bring into church the mentality that we live with in the world. I read this today. Some of you may have seen it today or somewhere else. I thought this was pretty interesting. Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best teacher, the wisest and best friend, and he failed. The problem isn't the leadership or the church you go to. If anybody should have succeeded, Judas should have succeeded. Whether you're a congregation leader, care group leader, youth ministry, young adult ministry, Sunday school, whatever other ministry, doesn't matter how great of a leader you are, not everybody's going to succeed under you. You can do the absolute best job, be the best leader there is, and you cannot eliminate the fact that there are going to be some that still find a way to fail. <laughs> said it several times throughout here. And again... Well, I won't say that part again. I believe there is a need for a renewed reverence and respect for God-established authority at Antioch. And I will say what I wasn't going to say. I'm not talking here trying to promote myself. I'm talking in principle and concept, and I'm not talking about one individual. I'm talking about the, the idea, the office. Thank you, Brother Spriggs. The office. Because the bottom line is, this goes beyond me. 
the number of opinions and things that get stated in disagreement with the bishop that God has positioned. So this isn't just about me. Obey them that have the rule over you because they watch for your soul. I don't want to be an Absalom. And I don't want to get tricked by an Absalom. I definitely don't want to be a Korah where I think somebody else is doing too much and it's kind of funny probably my late 20s I had this really dumb idea that I was ready to go I never said it to anyone in fact I've never uttered the words until this moment I, there were times I, I had the stupid idea, Bishop, you just need to give it to me and let me go. Thank God. There was a short chain that could quickly be yanked. Because what changed in the last 10 to 15 years is the more responsibility and authority I was given, Sister Gross, the more I started going, no. No, please no. I had this dumb idea in the past. I thought I was ready for something, and now I am well aware. No, no, no. Could it be that with all of us, when we think we've reached the place, that we are skilled and qualified and capable and ready for something, we have never been more disqualified? than we are at that moment. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. God, I realize that we are in a world today, first of all, in so many ways, challenges authority, disregards authority, diminishes, attacks authority. God, this is not a man-made organization. This is not a man-created thing. But we trust and believe that we are a part of your body, your church. So we don't live by the values and the ideas, the concepts of this world, but we are governed by a whole different set of principles. I pray that you would help us tonight. I pray, God, not for the sake of individuals and they're making their job easier to do, but for the sake, God, of what you have promised us, what you are doing and going to do as a church, that we would have the atmosphere, the environment that we need, God, a place of safety and protection, a place where sheep can come and not be threatened by those that would seek to divide and destroy, but a place of security, God. Help us tonight. I pray, God, grace upon every 
elder, every person, God, that stands in this church in a role of shepherding in some capacity, that you would help us, God, give us the hearts that we need to be the shepherds that you've called us to be. God, if there's any of us, and God, I stand here tonight for myself. God, if there's anything in me, if there's any way in which I conduct myself and I handle the responsibility of this office that displeases you, God, I pray that you would bring that to my attention. If somehow, God, I'm too ignorant or stubborn to see it, then I pray that you would send a voice of authority in my life to help guide me and lead me. Because I want to be a a good steward, God, of the responsibility and the role that you've given. I pray, God, that there would be a renewed trust and confidence in this church in leadership, God. I don't mean any one position, any one person but in the leadership, in those that you have placed in various positions to lead this body. Because I trust, God, that every one of those individuals is there to the best of their ability to do what you've called them to do in the way you've called them to do it. But God, we ultimately have to make sure that our hearts and our spirits, our attitudes, our motives for what we do is right. So help us, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, let there be refreshing and renewing. Let there be reconciling, God. If there are those that find themselves in in a place where there is a breach between them and those that you have placed in leadership above them, that there would be a mending of that breach, God, so that what comes as the benefit and the blessing of authority and submission and the anointing that flows as a result of that, would be able to have free reign in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We are going again to place the lists out. Uh, they've actually done a little bit more work, so hopefully a couple of that we know we're missing have been taken care of. Again, if you're not on the list, you may, be, you may not be on there because we're still getting it worked out. You may not be on there because there's an issue. Either way, if you're not on there, you need to communicate with me, and I'm requesting you do that by email.